Amy for that beautiful worship this morning. And isn't it nice to have Jocelyn as part of the team? She's uh, been coming here for a while and just stepping into some worship leading and very talented and nice to have her a part of things. Well, after, who was here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, so you know um, Pastor Kim set up all the rest of us um, that have to preach from now on because she let us all out at like five after nine, which is in seven minutes. And I had someone, Thad Hicks, came up to me at the end of last week and said, take note, I like getting out this early. And uh, I just want to tell you, it's not happening. Um, So you can just sit back, settle in. If you need another cup of coffee, you can make your way out there. Just be kind about it and do it one at a time and come back. Okay? Um, We have some awesome things to um, talk about this morning. We are starting our Lent series, and the pastor asked Josh and I, Pastor Josh and I, to kind of develop this series. And so as we sat down and started to think about um, Lent, really the biggest problem in developing a series for church people who the majority of us have been in church all of our lives is figuring out a way to present this story that you've all heard, we've all heard this most likely, many, many times. And so our challenge was how do we present these events um, and this story to our people again and bring to it new and deeper truths, ways that can get us to think a little bit. And so we kind of developed it with that question in mind and and, um, we talked about kind of the timeline that happens uh, in the Bible from this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is what I'm going to be talking to you about today, clear through to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what we will all celebrate together on Easter. And as Josh and I were talking, I said to him, I have been so guilty, um, particularly when my kids were smaller and I was working full time and had three little kids and, and you families, you know how that is. But I was guilty many years of just getting to Easter and being very grateful that I could come to church and celebrate with my church family and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But I was guilty of not really taking time to think about the events that led up to the resurrection. And when I look back on that and and think about those years that I took Easter kind of for granted. I just knew that was going to happen, and I looked forward to it and made sure the kids got their Easter baskets. And we used to get new dresses. That doesn't happen anymore. I kind of like that new outfit thing, but nobody really does that anymore. But um, when I look back and think about those times that I failed to look at the events that lead up to the resurrection, I just feel like that had to have hurt God in some way, that it didn't take the time to really contemplate Jesus's journey to the cross. Um, It just isn't fair for him to have sent his son for me and then for me to just spend my time celebrating and not contemplating what it took to get to that celebration. And so I um, I don't wanna be guilty of that. This year, I think it cheats God and it cheats us. I think when we do that, the resurrection and Easter Sunday 
um, cannot be celebrated in its fullness. I think God has um, a great joy that he wants to bring to us on Easter Sunday, and that can only come when we really stop and think about what it took to get to that point. And so we're going to break down this series um, by a timeline. And today I'm going to be preaching to you about the entry into Jerusalem. And then next week um, we'll be preaching about the trial before Pilate and the beatings and torture that Jesus endured. The following week will be the crucifixion. Then the next week will be that period of silence between the crucifixion and the resurrection, a really important period of time that I don't know that we've spent enough time on um, over the years. And so we're going to take a look at that. Then, of course, there'll be the resurrection. And then the last thing will be the revelation of the crucified Christ. So that's kind of, that breaks down the series for you. Now, Nancy Thompson has done a great job, once again, of adding kind of a participatory element to this. And so in the back, you'll see that there's a board up there that says, enter um, his gates. We want us all collectively to be able to look at things that have happened in our lives that were difficult, things that made us uncomfortable, things that we didn't particularly enjoy, but things that God got us through, things that he was faithful to us through. We want to be able to look at those things again with fresh eyes and look to see how can we be thankful for those things that have happened in our lives. And so there are little strips of paper back there hanging from a little rope, cute little rope, Um, and you can take the paper off and kind of write what you're thankful for. If you have a story that you're willing to share with one of our pastoral staff, We would love for you to email those to us because we would like to be able to share with one another stories of how we were able to look at a situation, a bad situation in our lives, and take another look at it and realize that there really was something to be thankful about in it. So if you would um, participate in that as you're coming and going from the services, that would be awesome, and you're welcome to email us with your stories as well. So... How many of you, and some of us might be too old to remember this, but if we're too old to remember it, then my mom just gave me a look (laughs) when I said that. Not you, mother. You're not too old to remember this. Um, Maybe you have kids who got their very first real job. Do you remember when you got your very first real job? I, I remember this so vividly with my two older kids, Tanner and Megan. They got their first real job where they were gonna get a real paycheck. And I remember both of them would sit down with their calculators and they'd figure out how many hours they were gonna work a week and how much they were gonna get paid each hour. And they'd be like, I'm making 200 bucks this week. I mean, that's like big money, right, to a 16-year-old. And Jay, being the financial guy that he is, he would say, no, kids, there's this thing called taxes, and you can expect that about a third, is that right, Jay, a third of your check is going to probably be taken out in taxes. You know, and the kids heard it, but they were so giddy over that number they got on that calculator. They just, I don't know if they just didn't really think it was going to happen, that the taxes were going to come out, or maybe they thought it was going to be a couple bucks, but that first time when they got that first paycheck, there was no excitement. (laughs) The taxes really came out, 
And that number that they had calculated on the calculator wasn't even close to what that check was. The 200 went to like 90 bucks. I'm exaggerating a little, but you know what I mean, that disappointment. They, you know, it, it wasn't what it appeared that it was gonna be. And so it was kind of a little bit of a disappointment. Well, things are like that, aren't they? We look at things and then we think, man, that, that looks one way or another, and then we have to take a second look at it for whatever reason, and it becomes something totally different. So, Meryl, throw my first picture up there, if you will. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you would love to go there? I mean, the, the water looks so peace. You guys are terrible at the whole raising your hand thing. Like, every time Pastor Paul does it, I'm like, they're not going to raise their hand. So, but I just did it. Um, so, I guess we just keep hoping, don't we? So, it's beautiful, right? You'd want to go there. I would love to go there. But at a closer look, that actually is Death Valley in California. And it's one of the harshest environments in the world. So if we went there, we'd have to truck in all of our own food, all of our own water, um, you know, a myriad of things to help keep us safe while we were there because that environment's not helping us to live. It's a very, very harsh environment. So a second look at that tells us something completely different about what we see in the beginning of the picture. How many of you like Whoppers from Burger King? I switched subjects really fast on you. From Burger King. Jay and I used to go there all the time when we were dating. Thank goodness that's over. (laughs) This is (laughs) the dating and the Whoppers are over, Pastor Bob. This is what a Whopper looks like when you see it on TV, right? In magazines. That's what you think you're getting. And then you open the box or you unwrap the package and this is really what you get. Right? Things are not as they appear. A second look gives us a completely different picture. New subject. How many of you have had little babies at some point in your life? Do you remember that first time you had that beautiful newborn baby? And you just, Emily Schmidt knows where I'm going with this. And you just thought everything was just going to be perfect. So sweet. You just hold them and they smell good and you cuddle them and love them and you were going to have your hair done and your earrings in and a white shirt on and it was going to stay white all day long. Well, it wasn't long before you took a second look and this is what happened. Right? You're a hot mess. Your baby's crying all the time and it's just not what, it, what you thought it was going to be. And we have a lot of new moms in our church right now. So if this hasn't happened to you yet, I have three words for you. Give it time. It's going to happen. Uh, Sarah Williams posted something funny on Facebook a, a few weeks ago. She said, I'm such a good mom when all my kids are asleep. I thought, yep, that's it. So when we take a second look at things sometimes, we see a completely different picture. And sometimes things happen to us where we need to take another look at it. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit kind of prodding us to take another look at something or to see it with different eyes. And we're going to do that today with this entry into Jerusalem. 
So we're going to read um, Luke 19. And you know, I just, I'm old school a little bit this way. I just think it would be really honoring if today we would stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. And so if you would stand with me, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen also, but if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke 19. And we are going to start with verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it will be hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you care for us. Thank you for your constant pursuit of us and drawing us closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear what it is that you would have us to hear, that you'll meet each and every one of us where we are, as you are so faithful to do. Lord, I pray that you will just bless this time, and may you be glorified. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So <clears throat> we kind of need to, when we're looking at Scripture, particularly if we're trying to take one event, we kind of need to, to do it due justice. Look at what happened before that event, and then look at what happened right after that event. We don't want to be people who take Scripture out of context. That's very important. People often will take Scripture out of context to use it for, for, to prove their point. But when we do that, when we just pull out a piece and don't look kind of at the whole picture, we're really in danger of misinterpreting the scripture. And we don't want to be people like that. Let me give you an example. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians that says, greet all your brothers <clears throat> with a holy kiss. Now, if you walked into Walmart... And your Walmart greeter took that verse out of context and tried to kiss you every time you came in, you'd have them arrested. 
right? We don't want to take scripture out of context. It doesn't do it any justice. And so we're going to take a look at what happened right before Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem. Well, what happened right before was Zacchaeus. And if you spend any time in Sunday school or Bible school, you, you know this. You know this story. Zacchaeus was short, which probably not allowed to say that anymore, vertically challenged. And he was trying to get a look at Jesus on a day when there were a lot of people uh, kind of, you know, wanting to do the same thing, get a look at Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, very resourceful guy, he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus over the crowds. Well, Jesus comes through, as you know, and he spots Zacchaeus in the crowd and calls him down. Now, Zacchaeus is is a known sinner. Zacchaeus is known to have some issues and some problems. And Jesus calls him down and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to hang out with you today. Let's go to your house and eat a meal, get some pizza rolls and some ranch or something. So he goes with Zacchaeus to his house that day. And of course, every time Jesus did this whole thing where he, you know, put himself in the presence of sinners, everybody made a big deal about it. You know, he, same thing happened with Matthew. He went to his house. He ate with him. And everybody said, oh, you know, Matthew, he's, the, he's lowering a snake's belly. He just shouldn't, we shouldn't associate with people like that. And so it always was kind of a big deal. And it got under the Pharisee's skin a little bit. Pastor Paul likes the Pharisees more than I do. I mean, he, he tries to convince me they're good people and would be nice neighbors. I, I, don't, I don't like them. Um, so anyway, it always got them all worked up, you know. So they were just talking about it and all worked up that Jesus called this guy down and went to his house that day. But that's what he did. What's very interesting, Jesus was very clever, very clever. He realizes he's gotten all these people worked up about going to Zacchaeus' house. So he thinks to himself, I got all their attention now. I'm going to tell a parable. So he tells this parable about the king's ten servants. Now here's your homework, okay, because I'm a teacher, so I can't really go through something without homework. I want you to go back later sometime this week and read the story of Zacchaeus and then spend some time on this parable The parable is of the king and his ten servants, and I'm going to summarize it really quick. This guy is going to be made king. Not everybody wants him to be made king. Most people don't want him to be made king, but he's going to be made the king. And so before he goes off for those festivities, he calls ten of his servants in, gives them all some money, and says, this is in your charge, this is in your keeping, now you need to take care of this for me while I'm gone. He's gone for a long time. He returns. He calls the servants back to him and wants to find out what they did with the money that he entrusted to them. One servant invested all the money and worked hard and got 100% back, like a return back. And so the guy was extremely happy with him because the man was responsible with what he had given to him and he made it grow. Another guy did about half of that, and so still happy with him, but not, happy, you know, not as happy as the guy who went all out. And then there was one servant who said, well, I didn't want anything to happen to it, so I just hid it. I didn't do anything with it. I just hid it, and here it is. It's safe. King not so happy. 
The guy didn't do any work. He didn't do anything to make that the, the gift that he had been given or the, the charge that he had been given. He didn't do anything with it to make it grow. And so it was taken away from him and given to the guy who worked really hard for it. And then um, at the end of that parable, the king calls, says he wants all the people who didn't want him to be king brought in and, you know, it's not going to end well for them. But I want you to spend some time in that parable because there's a lot there and, and you studying it will be way better than my brief summary. But it's important that parable coming right before Jesus enters into to Jerusalem is important. It's significant. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later. So Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem at this point. And um, he decides that he's going to send two of his disciples off towards Bethany to get a colt, which is not a horse, it's a donkey. Okay, And in Matthew, you'll read that he sent them off to get the mother and the the baby. Um, Luke just talks about the colt. But at any rate... He tells them, go on into Bethany. You're going to find a colt there. I want you to go get it. Bring it back to me. You know, so my first thought is, okay, well, did the people in Bethany just, like, know that Jesus was going to be asking for this? Did they, did they just give it to him freely and not knowing what he was going to do with it? I, I kind of, that whole just go get that and bring it back to me thing kind of threw me for a loop. But as I got to studying that, I realized that whole trip of Jesus's into Jerusalem was planned. The whole thing was pre-planned. You see, Mother, or Mother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were from Bethany. And so Jesus had been there previously. And he knew that there was going to come this day where he was going to make his entry into Jerusalem and he was going to need something to ride in on. And so he had already made these plans with whoever this family was and, and just said, you know, I'm going to need something from you at some point. Um, are you willing to lend that to me? And, and they must have agreed. So the disciples go and get the colt and they bring it back to Jesus. And immediately they throw their clothes that they were wearing, their, their outer garments, onto the, the colt, put Jesus on it, And he starts his entry into Jerusalem. And as he's walking in, people are throwing their clothes into the pathway for the donkey to step on, making its way in. And he enters into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month of the celebration of Passover. And it's interesting that it's the same day that the lambs that would be used for sacrifice would have been brought into the city. So it's the day of lamb selection that Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem. It's four days prior to Passover. Jesus, I want you to get a picture of this. He's sitting on a borrowed colt on on which are placed borrowed, dirty, traveled-in clothes. And then as he's walking through, the donkey is carrying him through into Jerusalem the donkey is stepping on borrowed, dirty clothes. All the way in to Jerusalem, this is what's happening. It's interesting that the donkey is a symbol of peace. 
You know, we would think, and we see in parades more, people riding on horses. But the donkey was very much a symbol of peace. A horse in those days stressed military power and authority, and they were used more in times of war. But Jesus chose on purpose a colt, which also has meaning. A colt was worth much less than a a full-grown donkey. So he chose the least of what he could choose to make his entry into Jerusalem. And when I think about that and, and picture that, one word comes to my mind, and that is humility. He had to make this entrance in because he was trying to establish that he was the Son of God, he was the Messiah, and that he was going to be a king It just wasn't the kind of a king that people expected it to be. And so everything about his entry in that day was humble. He was just clothed in humility. Well, as they start into Jerusalem, he's got his disciples and some of his most faithful followers. But kind of as as would happen even in our town if this happened today, people just kind of started to join in. So you got all these Stand, standby people. They're just like joining in. You have to remember too, it's almost Passover. There are a ton of people in the city because of Passover. And so they just start to join in and this crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the disciples start to praise Jesus. They start to say, Hosanna, glory in the highest. Now, there's an important thing in this scripture I want you to understand. There's a lot of distinction between crowds and disciples. It does not say that the crowds began to praise Jesus. It says the disciples began to praise. And there's a reason for that, and it's very significant. The crowds didn't really know what they, they, they joined in the praise, no doubt, but they didn't understand really what they were praising. The disciples knew, even though they hadn't wrapped their minds around the crucifixion yet, they knew that what they were praising was the fact that God had done miracles through his son. And they were praising God out of just pure joy for the things that they had seen. Now, it's interesting that as they start this praise, and I'm sure it was kind of a raucous thing, and they were loud and and joyful, as they should be, they get in closer to the city, and the Pharisees say, hey, Jesus, really, these people are blasphemous, they're embarrassing us, you need to settle them down. At which point, Jesus just says, listen, if they don't praise, the rocks are going to cry out. Because the kingdom of God must be praised. It must be praised. And if they don't do it, then it'll be up to the rocks to do it. The Pharisees didn't want the Roman army to come down on them for all of this, what was going on. They were just trying to keep the peace, didn't want any problems from the government, and they wanted these people to be quiet. And Jesus, you know, very rarely did he really... Did he really let something go on like that? But on that day, he said, they've got to praise. They have to praise because they're praising the God of heaven. 
So whether people knew it or not, and most did not, the kingdom of God was being established in their midst. These were the first steps that Jesus was taking to the cross, to one of the greatest events, the greatest event in all of history. You know what is sad to me? The Pharisees, they missed their king that day. He was right in front of them. And they missed him because of their religion. They missed him because he did not, he did not fit what they in their mind thought that their king would be like. They let their rules and their, their established ways keep them from seeing their king. And that to me is it's heartbreaking that he was right there in front of them. But Jesus, all along, he had, he had preached this message that went against everything that they stood for. He preached hope and love of enemies. He preached service. He taught people that it was just better to love and be forgiving and give mercy and grace than it was to hold people to rules that they couldn't keep. And even rules that they should keep and they broke, he forgave them on the spot, redeemed people, and sent them on their way. And that was something that was so much bigger than what the Pharisees could get their minds around. That was God's plan all along, but they missed it. They missed it because they let their religion get in their way. There are a couple perspectives I think we have to look at in this whole thing, and one is the people. The people in this think they've found their political king. They think Jesus is finally going to make a run for the political king. He's going to be this person who's going to free them from the Roman government. And they're excited about that. They've heard about him. They've seen things he's done. They're wanting something to happen politically for them. But here's their, their critical downfall is much like the Pharisees. They let what they wanted blind them to the truth of who Jesus was. They missed everything that he was about because they were so worked up about their government and being oppressed by their government. They wanted Jesus to establish political reign. But the bigger picture was God's plan. The bigger picture was a savior for their souls. And they missed it because all they could focus on was what they wanted. So when it became evident that Jesus was not going to make a play for a political ruler, a lot of those same people who, who followed him in and shouted praises turned on him. They were the ones who yelled that he should be crucified just days later. And then I think we have to look at the perspective of Jesus in all this. We think of Jesus as being very humble, and and he was. A a humility that none of us could ever even dream to, to demonstrate in our lives. Very humble. But let me tell you, make no mistake about it, Jesus was courageous on this day. He knew walking into that city that there was a price on his head. He knew exactly what awaited him. He knew that these people were misunderstanding what this was all about. 
He knew that those same people who walked him in that day, many would turn on him. And he still did it. He still got on that donkey and rode into Jerusalem and took those first and final steps to the cross, to his own death. He was courageous. And he knew that he had a divine right to, to, be, to claim king, a divine and deliberate right to claim that he was king. He had to establish himself as the Messiah in this short time. And for the first time, he starts to allow people to acknowledge him as such. He's, he's opening up more and more of the plan to them and to the people who will truly look at it and, and try to see But he also defines his kingship on this day. When he gets on that donkey and makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he is stating to people, I am a king. I deserve to be a king. But this is the kind of king he says he's going to be. A king of service, a king of love, a king of humility, a king of peace and forgiveness. Everything about that scene that day said those things. To the people, but many of them missed it. He knew full well that that whole display that he tried to do, people were going to misunderstand. And that, that had to be heartbreaking. But he did it anyway. Now, I want you to know that to the west, Jesus was entering from the east. I don't know east or west, so if I stay over here, just play along with me. I, this could be south, I don't know. Um, what Eric, Eric's telling me. Oh, good, okay, east. Jesus came, <laughs> Jesus came in from the east, and at the, very close to the same time, to the west, guess who was coming into Jerusalem? Pontius Pilate. He did not live in Jerusalem. He lived someplace else, but during Passover, he would come marching in on top of his regal horse with the entire legion of Roman army with him. They would come marching in from the west, and their reason for marching in was to declare that you have a government and we're watching you. Do not think that during this time of Passover celebration, you're getting out of control. Because we're here, kind of like martial law in Jerusalem. So Pontius Pilate made his way in to let everybody know that the presence of the Roman army, the Roman government, was there. And they were keeping an eye on the situation. So you've got two different groups of people entering from opposite directions for two very different reasons. Jesus humbly is making his way into the city and he stops. And he looks out over the city and he does something that when we read it really should just stop us in our tracks. He wept. He looked at that city, and he just broke down. There he is, the Son of God, sitting there looking out over this city, a city that he knows is going to fail to recognize God's presence. And he weeps for them and all that they're going to lose. 
He wept for them because the whole purpose of his entry into Jerusalem that day was for the lamb's selection. And they missed it. They missed their lamb. He was going to make his way to a cross for them. A perfect lamb in God's bigger picture had already been chosen for them. And they missed it. And he knew they were going to miss it. This whole thing had, been, had already been prophesied in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It had already been told to them. And here he was. And they missed it, and he knew they were going to miss it. And he wept because he knew their enemies were going to destroy them because all they could think about was political freedom and getting out from under the rule of the Roman government. They could not look at the bigger picture of what God had for them. So when we look at all this, what are the implications for us today? It's easy to say that, well, if, I, if we would have been there, you know, if I would have been there, I would have known. I would have known what, what was up. I would have known that Jesus was the real deal. Mm, I don't know. I've thought about that a lot of times. I don't know. There are a lot of implications in this story for us today. First of all, let's go back to that colt being tied and two disciples walking up out of nowhere and saying, hey, we need that. And the family saying, why do you need it? And they just say, the Lord needs it. Okay. The Lord needs it. They, might, they probably, that family probably did not know what the plan was, other than that the Lord was going to need something. They probably didn't know what he was doing with the colt, whether they'd get it back. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus told them. But they just gave it over. How many times in our lives has Jesus asked us for something? And we didn't know why he was asking us. We didn't see the end picture. We didn't know the bigger plan. Do we say yes when he asks us for something? Or do we say, well, if you tell me what it's for, and if I'm going to get it back, and if I don't have to give it up the rest of my life, then you, yeah, maybe. When he asks us for something, do we, does all he have to say is, the Lord needs it. I need it. And we say, take it. It's yours. Do we really do that? And then the second thing is all these people, all these people that were gathered that day, all these people that wanted, that joined in that crowd, a lot of them had never, ever met Jesus. They hadn't seen him, but they had heard about him. They had heard about him from the people who had experienced him. The word about Jesus spread like wildfire into parts of the, of the nation where Jesus could not physically be. And so this just kind of jumped out at me, and I thought, are people hearing about Jesus from me? Because it's up to me. It's up to us who ascribe to be his followers 
We have to be telling people about him. Because if we don't, they're not going to hear. And let's not fool ourselves about people in the great nation of the United States not knowing about Jesus. There are a lot of people who don't know about Jesus in our own little village here, county here. There are a lot of people who don't know about Jesus. And the only way they'll hear is if we tell them. Are we doing that? Are people finding out about Jesus because of the excitement that I have about what he's done in my life? We need to be telling people. And then I want you to go back to that parable that I poorly summarized. Here's the the crux of it. Jesus has given to us so much. He's entrusted to us so much. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's, He's charged us with helping to grow the kingdom. Are we putting to work what he's given us? Or are we just hiding it away, not doing anything with it? Are we working hard for the kingdom? There's work to be done. And that's what he was trying to say to all the people we told the parable to. There's work to be done. And we need to work hard to to fulfill the bigger plan of God. And then we fall sometimes, I'm afraid, into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. Sometimes we let our religion and our ideas of what things should look like keep us from being Jesus to other people. Do we associate with sinners? Do we go find people whose lives clearly reflect that they don't know Jesus? Do we hang out with them? Do we spend some time with them? Or do we think, well, I can't really be seen with them. What would people think? There's one question. What would Jesus think? about how I'm spending my time and who I'm seeking out. Are we seeking out people who need the Lord? And then praise. Listen, it still holds true. We sang about it today. If we don't praise, the rocks will cry out. Well, can I just tell you, I do not want a rock to have to do my job for me. I do not want to break the heart of God by not giving him enough praise for what he's done in my life, that a rock has to praise him in my place. Are we praising? Are we unashamedly, consistently praising the Lord for what he's done in our lives and for who he is? Just think about who he is and what he did on this day that he took these steps to the cross. He deserves our praise. And finally, this is kind of the big one. You think about Jesus in those first steps that he took to his own death. How many times have we faced circumstances in our life that we didn't like? Think about something in your, in your own life that you've had to face. Maybe you're facing it right now. I know some of you are. And all you want to say to God is, get me out of this. Save me. Like they were yelling that day, Hosanna, save me now. Get me out of this. I don't want to do this. 
I don't want this to happen to me. Whatever it is, illness, death, job loss, financial problems, family turmoil, whatever it is, all you want to do is get out of it. That's a normal response. But sometimes Jesus says, you're staying in it. And I'm going to see you through. But you have to trust. You have to be willing to work with the bigger plan that maybe we don't know. Are we going to stay in it and trust him to walk us through and trust him to be a part of the bigger plan so that we can look back on it and take a second look at it and be thankful for how he worked in our lives? I, I got the blessing of Rodney Gilman to share this with you, and this is in closing, but when Nancy was going through her illness for all those years, and those of you that know Nancy, you know how she suffered terribly. She never once said to me, I wish it didn't have to be me. I know that there had to be times where she felt that way. Like, what, you know, why do I have to suffer like this for so long? But there was one conversation that I had with Nancy, and I will never forget it. But she just said, I don't, I don't know why all this is happening to me. I don't know why I have to suffer for so many years. I don't know why the treatments don't work. I, I don't understand all of this. She was disconnected from a lot of her family at that time, and it broke her heart. She didn't know why that had happened. But she said, I believe that God has a bigger plan. And he's going to use all of this. And whether I live or die, God is going to be glorified in this somehow. And she did die. God took her. But she, she stayed in her circumstance, in the midst of terrible circumstances. She stayed there, and she stayed strong. And she trusted that God was going to lead her through those. She did not continually whine and beg for him to get her out. She just stayed there and held on to the Lord and trusted him for a bigger plan and purpose in all of that. She believed that. Jesus took those first steps into that city today not to become a powerful king. He took the first steps into that city that day to fulfill the bigger plan of God, even though it meant his death, even though it meant the cross. And these are things that we need to contemplate this week. We need to think about them and what we're dealing with in our own lives and take a look at our circumstances and say to the Lord, we're either going to stay and trust you or we're going to keep begging you to get us out of it and not trust. There's a bigger plan. God has us right where he wants us. He will be faithful to see us through if we will trust him for that. Take another look. Would you stand with me? Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you so much for how you teach us through it. Lord, we are grateful for your presence in our lives. And there are circumstances that we don't like sometimes, a lot of times. Lord, help us to be a people who will be your disciples. 
Help us to be a people who would be the ones who would be praising you because of what God is doing through you and in our own lives. And help us to be a people who are willing to stay put in our circumstances, trust you till the end, and trust that your bigger plan will be fulfilled. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to think about these things, draw closer to you through the week. Lord, we just give you all the praise. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.